Today's Egg Spotlight episode is sponsored by Energrow. Energrow's oilseed pressing system helps farmers crush their feed costs. The easy way to make fresh, homegrown, high-quality meal plus expeller pressed oil right on the farm. The fully automated Turnkey Crush Pro is easy to set up and run 24-7. To learn more, go to energrow.ca. And welcome to the North American Egg Spotlight. I'm Chrissy Wozniak. As our audience knows, we highlight the people and companies in agriculture who are impacting the industry and making a difference in the world. And today I'm so fortunate to be speaking with a woman who exists to do just that. She connects the people and science of food and farming. She's known for being a community catalyst, a passionate advocate for global agriculture, and for antagonizing people into action. She's worked with farmers in more than 25 countries, the author of three books, Food Bullying, Food Truths from Farm to Table, and No More Food Fights. She's also host of the Food Bullying podcast. I would like to welcome Michelle Payne. Welcome, Michelle, and thank you so much for being here. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be with you today, Chrissy. So I understand you were born into dairy farming. So can you tell me about, a little bit about your background? I was indeed, and I'm still a Holstein breeder today. I grew up in Southern Michigan on a registered Holstein farm and went to Michigan State University, where I then worked in the international dairy genetics business, which then led me to the National FFA Foundation in agriculture education, uh, which then led me to open my own business about 20 years ago, which is really hard to believe. And so I've been working as a professional speaker and an author uh, since that time and really worked to try to connect people in uh, food with the farm side of the plate. That's awesome. And you're the host of the Food Bullying podcast. Uh, so why did you choose that media type to, to get your message out? Well, we started podcasting uh, in conjunction with the launch of my food bullying book uh, because we thought that it was a medium that would be able to reach more people. And I actually worked with Liz Green on that podcast. And it was really interesting to hear the questions that came in from listeners, as I'm sure you probably have experienced yourself. Yeah. And in your new book, Food Bullying, you address this bizarre situation that we find ourselves in. These days where marketing labels and misinformation, they're used to bully and demonize people about their eating choices. So what led you to read to write a book that is devoted to that issue? Well, my first two books actually really led up to that book because when I finished Food Truths from Farm to Table, which is my second book, I knew that I couldn't get all of the food truths into that book. And, you know, there's 40,000 products in the average grocery store in the United States. And so I was convinced uh, that we are being manipulated around our food choices. And I was able to find some research that pretty clearly proved that from the neuroscience arena. And I had already started writing the book at that point because I saw very clear examples all the time from all over the world, unfortunately, uh, how people are bullied about food. Right. It's really interesting because when you look in the States alone, food is a $5.75 trillion business. Wow. And that's trillion with a T in case I'm not enunciating. Huge yeah. business, right? It is, yeah. Uh, and when you look at the opportunities to create confusion and emotionalism through fear, uh, unfortunately, that is a very rampant problem across the grocery store and restaurants. And I think that it's probably true on both sides of the border. I mean, have you had that experience, Chrissy? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and, and it's funny, food labeling, is it really turned into this source of inconceivable mistruths? Uh, and it's it's really become a battleground for those involved in agribusiness. So can you explain the problem 
and kind of where it stands right now? Sure. Uh, So I sorted through a whole lot of FDA, EPA, USDA documentation when I was writing the book to try to find the labels that weren't BS, which bull speak is what I'm referring to when Mm -hmm. it comes to the book. And it's interesting because I do think that we have a bit more of a labeling problem here in the States than you do in Canada. I know that, for example, around GMOs, you have some pretty strict regulations and we have a butterfly, you know, so um, that's one example. But really the reason why food bullying matters from a business standpoint, from an agribusiness standpoint, is because it's removing choice. It's removing choice on the farm. It's removing choice in the store for consumers. I happen to believe that farmers should be allowed to farm as they choose uh, to, as they best see fit for their land, their animals, and their family, and their business. And unfortunately, we have a variety of tools being taken away, Uh, whether that's particular chemistries, whether it's increased regulations, whether it's the uh, fear that's created, for example, in the dairy aisle, uh, way back when our BST was first released, did we really have to label milk as hormone-free? Because that's a myth, you know, that's the reality. And so, you know, that's a tool that's been lost because of the, the marketing that's been around it. And there's any other number of examples from eggs to GMO to animal welfare to hog housing and the like. Very frustrating from the agriculture side. And what I always try to help my audiences understand is that this is very much about a best business practice in 2021, 2022. And we have to be able to uh, help people better understand where their food comes from. Yeah, for sure. And I, I, I've seen it myself. It causes anger toward the end user as well, like from the perspective of agribusiness, right? Well, it, it does. It not only causes anger, but it creates distrust. Mm-hmm. And when I wrote the book, there's a, a cycle in there, the food bullying cycle, and it starts with disconnect at around nine o'clock. And, you know, we're three to four to five generations removed from the farm. And I think that's probably true on both sides of the border within a generation or so. And with that, uh, that disconnect comes distrust. And you don't trust what you don't know. You know, for example, Chrissy, if I were to come knock on your door six months ago, would you have let me in? Right. You know, and that's yeah. the challenge that we all have is you don't trust what you don't know, particularly in such a time of uncertainty. And so from that distrust comes fear and the bullies pay, play on that fear. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it has some pretty negative ramifications for all of us in agriculture. Yeah, for sure. I saw a recent LinkedIn post uh, that said uh, uh, 54% of consumers are looking for statements about the absence of certain ingredients. So antibiotic-free, non-GMO, chemical-free. So how did this even happen? How is it? Usually it's this is added, but this is the absence of. Yes. It's really interesting because these labels make these claims. Something is hormone-free. Well, let me assure you that uh, with the exception of salt in the grocery store, nothing is hormone free. That is a misnomer that many people uh, don't understand. You know, if you use maple syrup on your pancakes, you're pouring tree sap, hormone sap onto your pancakes. I mean, that's just basic life. And then when you when you look at the other free types of claims, the antibiotic free, well, milk and meat are tested. 
regardless of how they are produced. And organic is a viable production choice. I have absolutely no problem with organic. It is a choice that people have a right to make. However, when the antibiotic free labels uh, start impacting trust in farming and trust in how that food is produced, have a bit of a problem. Uh, The GMO free label down here or the non-GMO label is a pay to play scenario. So the butterfly that I referenced earlier, um, I get a little irritated, shall we say, when I go to Aldi and the bag of miniature bell pepper or miniature peppers that I used to buy that has had no genetic modification are not one of the dozen products on the market that can be genetically modified and are approved for that. They have the butterfly on And it's just, it's not necessary. It's again about preying on the fear that people have. And unfortunately, much of this has been created around the activist. And the challenge that we have is that today, and hopefully soon to be post-pandemic times, um, people trust farmers at an incredibly high level. During COVID, the trust in farmers and respect in farming actually ratcheted up. Celebrities and sports figures went down, which is mm-hmm. awesome, right? Yeah, great. I think that was an, one of the most amazing things that's come out of this is a, people paying attention to the food supply. Yes, but will it go away? Once everyone's comfortable again and exactly. food's readily available, we'll have to see, right? Yeah, it, it'll be very interesting, but I do think that we really have an opportunity. And part of that is agriculture's responsibility, in my opinion. We have to do a better job of understanding the opportunity for emotional connection. Because again, neuroscience and psychology clearly shows that if we want to be able to connect with people to overcome misinformation and disinformation, um, it's time to change the way that we do things. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So in your opinion, why do you think it's been so easy to trick the public into believing these outright lies? Like, do you think it was it, it was just for the money or is it, what, what do you think it is? I think there's any number of forces. You know, if you consider a playground and you think about where the bullies prey on kids, you know, there's, there's the swing set and there's the slide. And sometimes maybe it's to steal money. Sometimes it's just the ego factor. Well, that's no different than the grocery store. Uh, we have companies that want to, ratchet up their image. Um, So there's different restaurants that um, have their own clean label. And I always wonder, does that mean they wash their food? They wash their hands? Like why? Because without any definition, there's no distinction. And if it's not a federally mandated label, a federally regulated label, it's not worth the paper it's printed on, frankly. And so, so you have some that are trying to look like they're doing social good. You have others that frankly have been bullied by activist organizations, um, particularly around animal welfare, particularly around GMOs. And so that's part of their reason. Um, But clearly profit is a huge motive for many, Um, the same as it is in our business. Mm -hmm. And the challenge is, is that people are disconnected. And when you haven't been on a farmer ranch in five years, which some studies show that most Americans haven't been, um, if you haven't been on a farmer ranch in five years and you haven't talked to a farmer, and that's a hint for anyone who's out there watching or listening to do perhaps a better job of connecting with non-agriculture people, because those conversations make a huge impact when it comes to overcoming this fear and bullying. 
For sure. And in food bullying, you detail a six-step action plan to overcome food bullying and relieve guilt because I've seen that too in consumers, that guilt of, am I feeding my family properly or, you know, are they going to be healthy? Am I going to kill them? Am I going to give them cancer? So how does this empower the consumer? How does the six-step action plan empower yeah. the consumer? It's about really knowing about the the science and the source and the system of where your food is raised. If you, if as a consumer, you can know either the science or where the food is raised or the system in which it's approved and you stand a much better chance of overcoming food bullying. Um, so that does involve actually connecting with farmers in person, online, whatever it may be, becoming familiar with the science, simple things like knowing that hormones are actually the chemical messengers of life. They're really cool things. They're not necessarily bad. They're not the pump up steroids that everybody seems to think that they are. Um, so that's one example of science. And then knowing the system, knowing the what the federally regulated labels are, because where there is measurement, there's meaning. And where there's definition and regulation, then that, that label is a worthwhile label. So for example, here in the States, that's the whole grains label. Uh, that's a USDA certified organic label. Those are measured and monitored types of labels. Natural, clean, farm-raised, sustainable, green, clean, and all that, again, be us. Um, so being able to know the science, know the source, know the system. And the other thing, Chrissy, that I always challenge people that, that I don't know, I think it's a worthwhile discussion, is to know what your own standards are. Um, because when I go to the grocery store, I'm not a very nice person, probably. <laughs> I get very frustrated. <laughs> My yes. husband, if he, if he, he sometimes will just hold up a, a, a package of food to me just to watch my reaction because I just get so mad about it. You know, the smoke starts blowing out off of my head. And, oh, and I get it. I do the same thing. Yeah, I, and I have to put on blinders. Literally, mm -hmm. right? I just have to force myself to get through it. But one of the things that I wrote about in food bullying and that I speak about is that if you know your own health, environmental, ethical, and social standards, mm -hmm. you can overcome any bullying. Um, my ethical standards include things like we have a responsibility to feed the world. Um, mm -hmm. My ethical standards include things like animal rights activists don't have a right to tell me how to care for my animals. I'm sure those are very different ethical standards than yours and then anyone who's watching. And that's perfectly fine because they're mine. And if we all know where our standards are, then hopefully we can use that to overcome that those bullying out there. Because I literally will look at some packages and laugh. Yeah. You know, I think you have to do that at some point. Definitely. Yeah. And that's a really good point. Really getting better at anything is looking at yourself. Yes. Right. And defining yourself. So I really like that. That's, that's really good. Well, and it's I, kind of hard when you have to write your standards for the whole world to see. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, for sure. Yeah. And you mentioned before about animal welfare. So how is animal welfare playing into the issue? I think it's really interesting because clearly anybody who cares for animals know that that is a, a 365 day year concern. Mm -hmm. The the challenge is, is that there's a lot of extreme animal rights groups that have done some pretty radical things, Canada and the States where I am. Uh, and they have been extraordinarily gifted at playing to consumers' emotions, mm -hmm. yes. to voters' emotions, and very strategic in bringing groups together. Agriculture's response has been data and science and getting defensive. Yeah, that's work. a good point. Yeah. 
And the challenge that we have is that the science clearly proves that we have to connect with the emotional part of people's brains. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, if we want to talk about antibiotics, um, that's processed in a different part of the brain than what sustainability and animal welfare is. So if you want to talk about antibiotics, that's perfectly fine. But number one, don't lead with it. And secondly, attached to sustainability and attached to animal welfare so that brain, people's brains can actually process it positively if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And there's just, there's been so much misinformation that's been put out there and, you know, anthropomorphism is very real, the humanization of animals. And, you know, we've all hugged a mouse, hugged a rodent. Yeah. My family has as well. So I'm not judging, I'm not going to be a hypocrite, but the challenge that we have is we have this anthropomorphization, say that five times fast. Mm -hmm. Um, And we have a multi-billion dollar companion animal business. Yes. And that means that most people, when I start talking about our cattle, their reference point is their dog or their cat. Right. That sleeps in a bed and goes to a groomer and can't walk outside when it's too hot. It's a very different look at animal care than what we have in agriculture. So we have to be a a lot better at um, talking about why we do what we do with our animals. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Like at this moment, I have three chicks in my kitchen. Oh, but we just, you know, butchered a (laughs) hundred a couple of weeks ago. Right. So it's like, well, the babies need extra help right now. So, and, but that's what people at agriculture understand is that, yeah, I love those little baby chicks, but they may end up in the freezer, (laughs) right? Doesn't mean, means we respect their whole life. Exactly. And it's an honor and privilege to care for them, right? So that they can provide food for others. And and I think that's the point that we need to get across is it, it seems like we're doing these cruel things, but in context, they're actually not cruel. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. And in your book, Food Truths from Farm to Table, you suggested that locals not always better for the environment. So how can you, can you explain how that's possible? Yes. You just pulled that one from LinkedIn. I'd be willing to bet. (laughs) (laughs) So good memory. Yeah. It's really interesting. Um, The quick and simple answer is to read Locavore's Dilemma, uh, which explains pretty clearly how, for example, I like bananas. I live in Indiana. There will never be a banana farm happening anywhere close to Indiana. I will never buy a local banana. And based on, on my own health, ethical, social, and environmental standards, I'm okay with that. Right. Because when you look, for example, at let's talk tomatoes and you live up by Ontario, so New York, Ontario, wherever you you may be, think about growing those tomatoes in February and think about the electricity required to heat those greenhouses Mm -hmm. and the energy that's required. And there's pretty clear numbers out there that shows that it's actually better to ship the tomatoes in from Mexico from an environmental impact standpoint alone than to bring them in from New York. Right. And so there's numerous examples in local forest, for example, uh, New Zealand apples versus apples grown in the UK. And it's just, it's really interesting. And to be clear, I love local. I have a garden. We go pick blueberries. We pick apples. I think it's lovely to support my fellow agriculturalists locally. However, it's not always the end all be all that people try to make it out to be. That's it. Yeah. It's never just skin deep, right? You've got to look, look and, and really see what the data is behind. 
Well, and I I think that's an interesting point because when um, some of the folks that I interviewed on the food bullying podcast talked a lot about considering what your food dollar is impacting. Mm -hmm. That's a wide global reach and they worked in food insecurity specifically. And so the choices that we make sometimes have extremely negative consequences on those that are living in food insecurity. Mm -hmm. Because eggs that cost 50 cents more because voters were bullied into believing that was better for the chickens as far as the laying houses, that's a big deal to someone who can't afford food for their family. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. What do you think are the biggest opportunities in agriculture today? Uh, as far as connecting with consumers or mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess in, in, in general, I know you, you also speak about mental health, you speak about a range of things. So I guess, you know, from your, you know, inner perspective, what do you think? Sure. Well, that's a big question. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I really think, and I will admit to being biased on this because of my own work, but I really think that we have the opportunity to connect brains and behavior. Mm -hmm. And I've been trying to step into that space recently to Uh, help people in agriculture understand how to take better care of ourselves. Um, We're really good at taking care of our land. We're really good at taking care of our our animals. We're not so great at taking care of ourselves. And clearly statistics prove uh, from suicide rates to um, mental health challenges that we need to do a better job. And likewise, the data and the sciences out there that shows very clearly that we have to connect with consumers in a different way than what we have been doing. You have to take time to get off your tractor seat, or at the very least, at least take a picture from your tractor seat and put it on Instagram and talk about why you're doing what you're doing. Um, Because if we can help consumers understand that their behavior impacts us, we have a different conversation on our hands, right? So I think there's a lot of opportunities, again, around connecting brains and behavior, um, whether it's from the mental health side within agriculture or whether it's looking across the plate uh, beyond agriculture and trying to protect some of our interests from this crazy amount of bullying that's out there talking about what we do. I don't know about you, but it it makes me a little angry. (laughs) It really does. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Just I think, you know, those of us in agriculture, we we know where our food comes from. We, we hear these things over and over again, and it's hard to believe that there are people out there that believe the, the myths, right? So when yes. you do face people in a conversation, I always feel a little bit shocked. Like you actually believe that, you know? Yes. So this is a great challenge for everyone who's um, watching or listening your next extended family gathering, whether it's the fourth year in the States, whether it's Thanksgiving in Canada or or whatever the holiday may be, Mm -hmm. when you're together with your extended family that you may not have seen for the last year and a half, ask them how they feel about where their food comes from. And promise me you won't throw food at them or punch them. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Because it is shocking to a lot of people. And I've worked across all the provinces. I've worked across most of the states. And even people in the most rural areas don't understand why you're out there spraying chemicals, folks. They think that you're like poisoning the land. And they don't understand why we're doing what we do with our animals if we're not talking about the why behind it. Yeah. 
So that would be my number one message is please just get out there and have a conversation and show up as the humans of agriculture and care a little bit about each other um, because these times of uncertainty and the chronic stress associated with it is really taking its toll on the humans of agriculture. And we need to figure out how to do things differently. Definitely. Yeah. So uh, one last kind of big question, what are you most passionate about? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Oh, that's a great question. So I always talk about, um, in one of my keynotes celebrating agriculture, I always talk about the promise and the promise of agriculture is your legacy. And um, I point pretty clearly to my daughter who shows registered Holsteins. Um, and that certainly is a passion, but I think my overall passion is um, trying to help the people of agriculture do better for ourselves. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty wearing after 20 years, I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Um, But I really strongly believe that we work in the best business in the world. And I think that I work with the very best people and it breaks my heart when I see misinformations out there or when the people of agriculture are hurting themselves. Um, I, I wish that I had a louder voice. I wish that I could do more to get those messages of agriculture out there. But I've come to the conclusion after two decades, it takes every single voice at every single opportunity, whether we really feel like doing it or not. And also takes sometimes stepping up and having the hard conversations within agriculture and giving people a little smackdown once in a while. That's it. And we all have that responsibility. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. So where can people find you? Where can they find the podcast and your books? Sure. Uh, so the podcast is available across all of the platforms. You can find me at causematters.com and I am at end pain speaker and I'm spinning around right now. Oh, here it is. I had it up here the whole time. I'm so excited too, because this is the, the new calendar that I'm releasing. Oh, it's not awesome. available in Canada. I'm so sorry, but for everyone in the States, it's a agriculture's growth calendar and it's filled with um, tips and tools around stress management. Uh, for the entire year. And the first shipment of them is just coming in um, next week. So they're going to be shipped out. So I'm super excited about that. So check it out, cosmatters.com or in pain speaker. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah. Thank you for having me, Chrissy. And thanks for everyone who listened and, and watched Yeah. Yeah. Thanks to everyone. Um, If uh, anyone wants more information, the links will be provided in the show notes. Don't forget to subscribe to North American Egg Spotlight YouTube channel. And the podcast is available available on Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, Amazon, wherever you listen to podcasts. And I'm assuming that uh, food bullying is also available on all of them as well. It is indeed. Very good. Well, everybody have a great day. Thank you so much. Happy summer. Thanks. Thanks so much for listening to today's Egg Spotlight episode, where we put the spotlight on people and companies doing great things for the agricultural industry. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple, Amazon, Spotify, Stitcher, or on your favorite podcasting platform and give us a five-star review. You can also follow us on YouTube and Rumble to see the video version of Egg Spotlight. Also, head on over to NorthAmericanAg.com to subscribe to our Industry Connect update newsletter. If you're interested in advertising opportunities, email us at connect at NorthAmericanAg.com. Thanks for listening. Fastline Auctions, the ultimate destination for online farm equipment auctions. Looking to list equipment? 
Fastline Auctions knows farmers, and farmers have trusted Fastline for their equipment needs for over 45 years. With unmatched digital reach and direct-to-farmer catalogs, they can find the right buyer for your equipment. Not to mention, they have the industry's lowest commission rates. And if you're looking for equipment to buy, you can bid with confidence. No buyer premiums, no reserves, just integrity. Fastline Auctions, your trusted platform for hassle-free, cost-effective farm equipment auctions. Visit Fastline.com for more information. You can join us for a tour of the Fastline Auctions platform July 13th at 6.30 p.m. To register for this webinar, go to NorthAmericanAg.com slash Fastline hyphen webinar. That's NorthAmericanAg.com slash Fastline hyphen webinar to register now.